Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. This is episode 111. I thank you for your support. I'm Lawrence Holmes. This episode is one that's been anticipated for a while. A lot of people have wondered, hey, what's up with a Batacola? Well, we try to get to the bottom of that in this week's episode. Maddie was nice enough to sit down with me for 90 minutes and talk about all sorts of stuff. Before I, I get into the intro, I would like to tell you, hey, thanks to the people who consume this episode via the House of L podcast YouTube page. If you're on YouTube, you can go check out Maddie and I talking the same thing. But you can see us talking to each other via Zoom. It's been a really cool thing. Like, it's given me a chance to innovate by being stuck at home to do more Zoom interviews. So the House of L podcast YouTube page has almost all of these interviews over the last couple of months on there. Also, some stuff that's not on the podcast, like my interview with Jason Hayward. Like, that's not on the podcast, but it is on the YouTube page. So if you just search House of L podcast on YouTube, go there, check out the interviews like Sarah Gendra's is up there. I think I'll put up the one with uh, Erica Nicole Clark maybe next week. But I wanted to give the subscribers a little something extra since they were nice enough to jump on the different platform. It's not to say I don't love you. I do. And that's why I'm doing this version of it. You get an actual intro and outro on this thing in the traditional podcast style, but I just wanted to make you aware. House of L podcast has a YouTube page. What do the kids say? Smash that subscribe button. All right, let me get to it. Maddie left the score. Man, it feels like it was just yesterday, but apparently it's been a while. And we talk about what precipitated him leaving the score. And we talk about some things that he felt like were unsaid and some things that he he didn't do as well as he hoped that he would have done. We also get into, Maddie and I kind of ran into a, a rough patch. To, to give you some background, we worked together on the, the Murph and Fred show as producers, and we talk about how much money we made. And it was not a lot when we figured out the math on it, and the math is pretty simple. We did not make a lot of money as a, a group. So if you're thinking that you're going to get into broadcasting and make a ton of money, it's possible, but you're going to hurt early on. And hopefully you can withstand that hurt because if you can, there is some gold on the other side of the rainbow. But anyway, like we were very tight when we were working as a, a, a group along with Rock Momola. Shout out to Rock Momola. He was our intern back in those days, and now he runs a sports radio station in Tampa, which is crazy. But, I mean, that was 17 years ago, so, of course, he should advance because he's really good. And then when I got promoted, Maddie got an opportunity to be an EP, and he just kind of kept being, like, moving up the ranks of EPs to he was the most senior EP at the score when he's in charge of the Boars and Bernstein show. So we... We went through some stuff as colleagues and as friends that didn't always lead us to being on the same side of issues. And we talk about that 
in here. I don't want you to think that that's the entire episode because it's not. The, the, the episode is more about where Maddie's at and how sometimes his personal life would bleed into his professional life. And there were things about what was going on in his personal life that he didn't like. So he's been on a mission to try and change those things. And that's where he's been over the last couple of years. So we, we talked about that and where things stand. He was pretty open about it, too, about the things that he didn't like about himself and that he's trying to get better at. I enjoyed it. It was a good conversation. Like We haven't been on, I wouldn't say that Maddie and I have been on bad terms, especially towards the end. I think that we he had come on my show and we did, this is I, I think even before House of L started, we had done like a House of L-esque interview where we worked through some of our beef with each other. And I will say that the beef is, is primarily on my side. You'll find out later on, but I'm glad that he had the time to talk about a lot of these things, and I'm glad that we got a chance to really talk about broadcasting and, and sports broadcasting in particular. I always thought that Maddie had the chance, if he wanted to be, to be a program director or sports director somewhere. I don't know if he would ever want to do that, although you will hear him come up with some ideas for lineups. I don't think that he would ever want to be that far away from a show. I think he'd rather be close to doing some things with a show. And you'll hear what he thought about the creativity that was allowed to him by working as the EP of the Boers and Bernstein show in this conversation. So I'm going to stop wasting your time. I'm going to let you get on with the getting on. This is me and Matt Abaticola chopping it up. Episode 111 of the House of L podcast. And we start with talking about me doing the show from home and how that's going for me. I will say that the last two shows I've done have been at the studio because my internet went out. Because that's one thing that's not always reliable on the South Side. Hopefully I'll be able to do the show from home on Monday. And, and hopefully I'll be able to get back to the studio more often. I will tell you, it was pretty easy. It's pretty easy. Anyway, episode 111, me and Matt Abaticola. That was going to be the score's like fallback position that everyone from the score would just go to the bunker because okay. the transmitter is still there and it's still operational. It's like our doomsday bunker, like legitimately right. a bunker. I was down for that. I was like, okay, let's go back to the small cramp studio. Let's go back to the the space where it's just the score and let's do our shows. Like I was totally ready for that to be be what we ended up doing. Yeah, I was I was actually surprised to hear that you guys were working from home. I thought, you know, I just assumed because when when we were there or when I was with you guys, it was just you you went to the studio, you did your job. It didn't matter what was going on. Uh, there could have been a fire going on, and we don't know if it's a, a test fire alarm or a real fire. You don't leave the studio. You stay. Um, so I was surprised. And the first the first two people I thought of working from home, you and uh, Bernstein, I was like, there's no way these two dudes are going to are gonna manage this. Like, it's not going to work. It's just, it's not going to work. Because I was like, number one, Lawrence is going to freak out. Number two, Bernstein's family is going to strangle him to death, like with their bare hands by week number two. 
Yeah, I that's that is that's a a fair assessment because at first <laughs> I was sitting there like I don't know if I can do all this and and then we got through a couple shows and like yeah it's the same thing like I know that I'm driving Herbie crazy because I'm like we need to put this in and this sound in and I, I there's a 20 second sound bite from from Mully and Hall like we need to throw that in so I know that I'm driving him insane but overall it's been it's been good it's been it's been way better than I expected. And I think that since I've been doing so much like podcasting and stuff at home that I had gotten the rhythm of getting everything that I needed and feeling comfortable doing it. What's, yeah. what's weird is, is that I podcast from here. So like, this is my office, like one of the spare bedrooms. I do the show from the basement because that's where the modem is. So you right. want, you want to have it as speedy as possible. So I've essentially turned two rooms of, and now I'm doing zooms on NBC in the living room. So there are now three offices in, in my house, which I don't like. I don't like that. I, 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 that's something that I think needs to change, but I'm getting used to it. And I, I actually asked Terry a little bit about it and I get it now. Like I get radio itself. Like my friends who work for, uh, for Sirius, they're at home. Like they're right. doing shows from home and it might be the wave of the future. Cause I don't know when we're going to be allowed to go back down there downtown. Look at you with that, that home is a state, huh? You got oh, one of the spare bedrooms. I'm doing podcasts. I got my home studio in the basement. I do TV in the living room. <laughs> but there's, there's only two of us here and there's, you know, we got a, got a three bedroom house. So I mean, it, it ends up working out. <laughs> I wouldn't call it an estate. It's a postage stamp, but it's a nice little house. I, I, know, and I know. And I will tell you this. I have been so happy that I had this place because they're actually like it, the basement has two sides to it. And on the other side, like I have a treadmill. So we basically have like a yoga, like workout space. So when I lost the gym, I actually was like, oh, I, I have stuff. I can stop throwing clothes onto the treadmill now, take the clothes off of the treadmill and actually plug it in and start doing some work on it. Nice. So it's been going good for you, though? You've been uh, adjusting well with it and feeling feeling good? Yeah, I, I've been, yeah, better than I, I'm trying to use my time, like, effectively, too. I've learned how to edit video and stuff like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, you know, like they're new projects. So I just figured I got time. I got all the time in the world now. So why not do more stuff? Because that's what I end up doing. Because I'm well, that was stupid. Always, always scary when you got in the cockpit, though. So yeah, yeah. There's there's no doubt. All right, I spent enough time talking about me. Let me talk about you. Uh, okay. Do you remember like what it was that made you want to get in radio? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that goes back to, to high school days and listening to Johnny B. I mean, that was absolutely the reason why I wanted to get in radio. I listened to the Brad Meyer show religiously. Uh, I would sit in my car in the high school parking lot or I parked on the street from high school and I would sit in my car and I would go into class late for first period because Johnny had a, a bit he was doing, whether, you know, he was doing scambo or, you know, whatever, whatever it was, he had, you know, listeners doing stupid things in, in drive through uh, ordering stuff, screaming at a Burger King 
drive through, whatever, whatever it might have been. Uh, I wanted to listen. I wanted to hear Johnny's Aunt Marcia that was coming up. So I would sit there late. So it was Brandmeier that that not only entertained me, but got me into the mindset that that would be a fun thing to do and get paid to do it. So it was definitely listening to Brandmeier for sure. So once you kind of made the connection of, hey, this guy is having fun, he, he, and he's making, at the time, he, Johnny B must have been pulling Oh, in. he would have to be rolling. Had to be rolling. God. I you mean, know, he was doing concerts. Remember, yeah. He was getting a TV show in L.A. I mean, he had Johnny in the Legion suits. That dude had to be had to be swimming in dough. I keep thinking about how much the industry has changed from that regard. Like even when oh, we yeah. when we were producing together, North was making what a million and a half. I I think uh, I mean I don't want to speak for him on his contract. But I think he was at one point seven five. That God. final one, maybe I I'm, I could be wrong. Maybe it was a million and a half, but. He was definitely over. He was definitely over a million for sure. And there were a bunch of guys in the industry back then that were making that type of money. And oh, now yeah. that now that I think there's one left. I think it's Eric. I think he's the last person. I think he's the last seven figure guy. Yeah. It's just changed so much. It's yeah. It's it's cool. And you know, it's funny too, Lawrence. Um, you know, so when I uh, about a, it was a year and a half ago or so, I started working part time at a little restaurant here in Libertyville. And it's a, a Greek place called Chrysoulos, and it's right right down to Milwaukee Avenue, right in downtown. Great location. Uh, two brothers that grew up in Libertyville, went to culinary school, worked at different places. This location opened up. Family dream to have a restaurant. So it's a like a chef-driven, family-inspired recipes, Greek restaurant. It's great. So I worked there one or two nights a week you know, as a bartender or server, whatever they need. I've been doing that for over 20 years. I, know I, just, I, love, I love the restaurant industry. So I'm working one night at Chrysoulas, and uh, this guy, uh, a woman, and a young daughter, child come in, and I look at the guy, and I'm like, "Holy crap, that looks like Brandmeier." But I'm like, ah, "I don't know if that's." I'm like, "Why would Brandmeier be here?" And that's not that's not Brandmeier. So I go over, I check the reservation, and it it was his wife's maiden name was the reservation. So I'm like, "All right, it's not Brandmeier," but I'm like, "He looks he looks just like him. It's so weird." And then the server that was waiting on him. And I mentioned it to him. I'm like, yeah, that guy looks like Brandmeier because he saw me staring at him. And, uh, and he's like, well, his wife did call him John. And I'm like, all right. But he looked really, really skinny, like super skinny. So I'm like, forget it. So I, I walk over to him and, and I'm like, hey, I'm sorry to interrupt your dinner. Ma'am, I apologize. I'm like, Johnny, a huge fan of yours. Just want to say it's a real honor to have you in here. And uh, just want to say hi. That, that's all. I don't want to bother you. And he goes, oh, hey, wait, 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 no, it's, it's okay. And she was like, no, it's fine. And she goes, uh, he goes, yeah, so uh, what's your name? And I said, I'm Matt Abaticola. And he was like, Matt Abaticola from The Score? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, I was a big fan of yours. Come on, have a seat. Sit down. Get out of here. Dude, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. It absolutely made my almost 17 years in radio. Having Brandmeier recognize my name, whether he was BS me or not, took the time to be kind enough to sit down and talk about radio with me for about 20 minutes. What, what did he tell you? What can you share from that conversation? Oh, you know, we, he, it wasn't about like the ins and outs of it or any insights to it. It just, we talked about it and dude, he listened. I mean, like all of us who, and you still in it and do it, we all listen to radio for sure. Like, you know, I, I would tease a lot that I, I never wanted to listen to it after I was done. And there was, there were most days where I would leave the station and I needed just like I would literally put headphones on in the train and listen to a box fan, like white noise, 
because I literally did not, <laughs> I did not want to hear any. Seriously, dude, I would on the train on the metro home, I would listen to a box fan noise because I did not want to hear any talking or just anything. For I wanted to zone out and get it all out so I could enjoy my evening. But we all listen to radio all the time. We listen to the station. We listen to our competitors. We listen to other. We listen to other uh, FM stations, and we had uh, DJs that we liked there and became you know friends with because of the industry. Um, but he he was a fan of it. You know, wow. Uh, we just we talked about it. we talked about listening to the score. I talked about um, the loop, and you know Kevin Matthews and Stephen Gary. I mean that was a lineup that Johnny was part of. So we we just talked about radio, and not about being in it or doing it, but just about what we loved about it. Uh, it was it was so cool, dude. It absolutely it absolutely made my time at the score worth every second of it. Just having the guy that I got inspired by to, to get into radio tell me that he knew me and was a fan of mine. It was it was insane. Your the way you feel about Bram Myers, the way I feel about Dahl. Oh yeah. And and when I found out that Steve like listened to the station and thought I was smart and wanted me on his podcast, I was like, nah, like what? Like that's that's not possible that my idol wants me to come be and hang out and talk about sports with him. It's so cool. Like those days of, of, of the, the old AM loop with, with Johnny B, Kevin Matthews, Stephen Gary back in the day, like it, it set a template, I think for a lot of us that were like that. I wouldn't say the next generation. I would say the, the generation after that, those of us that were impressionable, at 13, 14, 15 years old, listening to that and then saying, oh, well, those guys are allowed to have fun on the radio. We could probably have fun on the radio, too. Yeah, and I think it opened up because that that string between Johnny and Kevin and Stephen Gary, it was wasn't it wasn't always just about, you know, oh, you can have fun and do it, but you certainly could. But it was just you could be yourself on the radio and garner an audience that would make you successful. And just be you because we realized whether it was, you know, whether it's country music or sports talk or news radio, which is a little more strict and guided, obviously, it's about personality. And it doesn't really matter what genre of music you play. It doesn't really matter what format of talk you're in. If people don't connect with you in some way, it doesn't matter what you say. Your content's not going to matter if there isn't a connection there. And what we've also learned, too, about this, and this goes through a lot of different uh, on-air personalities, whether that connection is adoration and love or if it's hatred, you need that. You need people that hate you because the people that hate you listen every second of every day. And the people that love you, they're going to be there all the time. It's when someone's kind of vanilla about you, yeah, they, they come and go. But you, you need to garner that strong emotional reaction. Um, you know, I look at Stern. A lot of people listen to Stern because they hated him. Yep. They hated Stern, but a lot of people loved him. A lot of people listened to Dan and Terry because they hated Bernstein. They hated him. Yet they were there every day the second the show was on the air. They would tune into it. So you needed to have that. I certainly wanted to be more more loved than hated. You know, I tried to go that direction with it. But I think sometimes that just happens naturally as a, as a show and a personality develops. Um, but it just showed that you could be yourself. You would talk about regular life stuff. You didn't have to be an expert. You didn't have to be, you know, uber knowledgeable on all these different things. Just be yourself. Be a person and connect with people, and that that could really take you off. One of the things that I've always liked about the Boris and Bernstein show is, while Dan obviously is very smart, and the show was smart, 
what I loved about it is that it, 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 it to me, it's a demarcation line in sports radio in Chicago where a lot of our shows, and I'm going to say mine too, a lot of our shows before Boers and Bernstein were kind of hot takey. And if they weren't hot takey, they were super cerebral where it's you're, you're talking about statistics all day. I felt like the show that you guys put together allowed for there to be more space, to be more real conversations that went on and for there to be some fun. Did that just happen or is that something that you were driving it towards? Oh, I, 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 I drove towards that uh, as it took time. You know, I had to settle in and understand my role and kind of the, the first 18 months, two years was just being a part of it, uh, doing what they wanted to do, uh, putting more guests on than maybe I would have wanted to as a, as a, as executive producer. But then I, I realized what we, what we could, what we could become. And yeah, we were, in my mind, we were a sports, we were a, a talk show on a sports talk radio station. And when sports needed to happen, you were going to find two better guys to talk about it, cover it, break it down if you needed to, because they had past experience. They could watch the games and they could talk about it in a, in a, a fashion that was entertaining and, and listenable. Okay. But I, I knew that we were a lot more than that. And I wanted to allow more freedom for that to develop and grow between two guys that were on opposite ends of the spectrum as far as people were concerned, but shared a lot of the same values. And I knew that it wouldn't sound redundant because you had two very different people with the same thoughts and they would come out differently. And they certainly did. Terry and Dan agreed on most everything throughout the 14 years I was there and the 19 they were on the show together but it never felt like it was two guys repeating the same things over and over. Um, so, you know, as, as a show went on, we gradually did less guests and that was deliberate. You know, there would be times where, Oh, you need to put more guests on this, you know, let's push this ratings took a little bit of a dip. We need more guests. Well, that's not always the case. And it's not necessarily the, the best idea. So I would, I would take that advice or um, that nudge and, and I would give it its it's due respect and then move on and do my show because it was, it was better to have Dan and Terry be Dan and Terry. Um, and, and again, when, when, especially when significant sports things happened, I don't think we had two better guys that could cover something from a breaking news standpoint. We could really do it really well because I think, you know, their experiences in reporting for Dan and then, you know, Terry for the years and years he wrote in the papers, that's what they did and they could do that well. But I, I wanted it to be more about Dan and Terry. And um, when I saw more freedom to get away from sports, I certainly wanted that to happen because, man, I think you could listen to that show for hours and just be thoroughly entertained. What was it like to have that vision of the show succeed and to be able to live in that success of we don't need to follow the same model that is kind of out there for sports radio and it still be something that people listen to? Uh, it felt great. And it's, you know, I think a lot, a lot, a lot of what happened was um, eventually as, as time went on, there was a lot of, uh, I think from my perspective, I, I'm not going to speak for anybody else. Certainly uh, my perspective, there was uh, uh, some ego that, that developed and grew, which probably, you know, didn't need to, they got a little out of check. It was like, this is what I saw. This is what it became. This is where we're at. Um, 
as a show without deliberately trying to do it. I mean, we would make fun of other sports talk shows, you know, because it just, it, it didn't sound genuine or real. Um, I, I think the, some of the characters that developed in the course of the show, that hatred for Dan and Dan being the smart guy that's going to tell you you're wrong regardless, um, that became part of the show. And I don't think it was generally who Dan is as a person. Um, the, the tension between Dan and I also developed as part of the show, but wasn't fully accurate of what our relationship was like or what my actual thoughts of where Dan is uh, thought, what my thoughts are of Dan as uh, you know, for real. Yeah. Cause I mean, um, Maddie, there were some days where I thought for sure, like it just as listening to it, that you were going to run into the studio and, and choke the shit out of Dan. No. And, and, and the show developed in that and it was because it was part of the show. And I easily fell into that, 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 uh, that track of it. Um, but we would have, on air confrontations that you would think, holy crap, this is when it's going to go down. We'd go off the air for commercial break and it'd be like, Hey Dan, we're going to get Starbucks. You want coffee or anybody hungry or we're going to get something. Or I'd walk in and drop off an article and be like, Hey, that was a great segment. That was hysterical, you know? And that, that's what it was like. Um, so it, it became part of the show, which I, you know, looking back now, I, I regret that it did only because it developed perspectives of individuals and aspects of the show that weren't fully accurate. Hmm. And I'm sure that you probably get asked all the time. What's Dan like? Oh yeah. hundred percent. You know, and it's, it's, I still get it. I still get it today. I mean, I've been, I've been gone, got uh, three years uh, last Sunday. Wow. And yeah. Wow. Uh, and I still get, I still, I had a guy yesterday in my parking lot, I was leaving and I was talking to another, another guy that I know. And, he happened to say my name and the guy was like, Oh, for the score. He was like, is that Dan Bernstein? Like the asshole. He really seems that he he was like that happened yesterday. So I still get it. Yeah. And, you know, and um, I know I perpetuated that, that kind of perspective about Dan. And I, you know, I feel bad about that. And I've talked to Dan, um, you know, you know, since I've left the station about that and uh, I felt compelled at certain points to apologize to him for things because I I treated him poorly and I treated him, um, less respectful than he, he deserved as a, as a person at times. Uh, but the show kind of did that. And also my ego and my bad attitude played a part of that as well. What do you think led to you having a bad attitude? Was it just burnout? Was it a lack of opportunity? What, what was it that you think led to that? Uh, it was, it was a little bit of a bur- It was, it was burnout. And then, you know, there was several factors. So uh, let's start with burnout and doing that thing for a long time. Um, and then, you know, Mitch obviously saw that and put me in a role of doing updates. Um, my bad attitude then turned that into a negative thing because it was like, I'm not being used enough. I'm, I mean, anybody can do an update. I'm sorry. You know, and that's no offense to guys that do them really, really well. You know, I thought I did them well enough to get the job done. There's some guys that excel at it. Um, but I, I didn't feel like I was being used enough but it was a break from everyday grind of, of producing a five hour show. Um, I felt like I didn't have other opportunities that I thought maybe I deserved. And again, there's maybe some of that's real and maybe some of that's my, my ego and attitude. Um, you know, I also, you know, Lawrence, I mean, my, my personal life played an impact on that too. You know, I've, I've ruined more relationships of all kind um, than I've, than I've developed great ones in my life. Um, you know, lo- looking back on it, would I have, uh, you know, I think looking back now, we're, like where I'm at now as a person, 
uh, I don't think I would have would have walked away from the score. I think I would have gone to Mitch and you know an HR and and seen if because that was in May and to see if maybe there was something we could do to give me a few months off to kind of take care of myself and things I needed to as a person and maybe come back for the summertime or for football season. Um, you know, I think if, you know, looking back on, on that now, I, I kind of wish I'd done that, taken that route with it. I'm not at all unhappy where I am in life professionally. And as a person, uh, you know, as a person, I, I haven't been and felt this healthy or this good about myself. And I've worked on a lot of things over the last, last several years, but yeah, my personal life definitely played a part of it and ego thinking I deserve more. And then, you know, you throw burnout in there too. So how bad did things get for you personally? Uh, man, they, they were pretty bad. They were pretty bad. You know, I have, uh, I have a real, real gift of, uh, self-sabotage in life. Uh, I learned through counseling that I never, I never valued relationships of any kind. And I don't mean this like with the opposite sex. I mean, friendships, being a brother, being an uncle, being a son, being an employee, being a coworker, um, relationships were never important to me. Relationships were uh, a necessity to get through life hmm. and they weren't something to be valued. Um, you know, and I, I learned a lot of that about myself. And um, so that was, that was valuable to learn. Um, I was drinking too much, you know, uh, I, I never, I never got to a point where I needed, to, I needed assistance in, in ending that because I stopped drinking and I stopped drinking for, for a while. Uh, and I certainly drink a lot less now than I, than I did, but it, I, dude, I would, I would drink on the train going to the station. Um, I would sneak beers into the station. I would drink beers going home on the train. Uh, I was just drinking too much just to not have to, and I wouldn't get like hammered where I wasn't able to function. I certainly did my job and lived my life, but I just didn't want to think about things. So that was, it was an easy escape for me. And that's, that's another trait I learned about, about uh, my family as well. <laughs> That the abaticolas like to drink? Yeah, uh, no, the abaticolas like to avoid things, and it's a lot easier. Ah, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's something that's that's specific to you guys. I think a lot of us try to do that. You know, I think we no, all- it's not, it's not specific, but it certainly is a, a trait that runs through a lot of the men for generations in my family. I wow, well, yeah. that makes sense. Like yeah. that, that makes sense. So, when did you feel like because making a decision to go to counseling? Like, that's a hard thing to do. Like, that's a hard thing to come to grips with. When did you get there? And what was the impetus for you to go there? Uh, well, I had, I had, I'd gone to counseling um, at one point, and I was doing it not for myself. So that really wasn't going to be as effective as it, it could be. Uh, after I left the station and um, realized that I pretty much didn't want to get any lower in life where I was, you know, that it was like, yeah, you, you don't even want to look in the mirror and see, see who you see. And, and, and when you do, you're like, not only do I not like that guy, but like, who the hell is that guy? Like, that's, that's not me. You know, uh, this isn't who I am as a person inside. So let's figure out because I certainly couldn't figure out on my own why, you know, I'd gotten to certain aspects of life that I'd gotten to. Um, so who can help, who can help with that? And so it was that it was at that point. And then 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 it's, it's a, an actual conscious effort to be open and honest and sincere and try to figure out and let that person guide you that as they see best to try to help unpack what had been going on in your life. And at that, you know, at that point, you're talking 
you know, 44 was 45 years. So is it hard to allow, like, cause you've been in leadership positions in work. Like you're, yeah. you're an EP. You're someone that people look to. You were the most tenured producer at the score uh, at the time that you left. Was it hard for you to allow someone to tell you what to do? No, not at all. I mean, not at that point. It certainly would have been. Um, but I mean, I was completely broken. And, and when, when you get to that point and you realize it and accept it and accept that, A, I'm broken and B, being broken is not a bad thing because you can get fixed. Um, then you, you're, you're all ears and all game to, to participate in, in whatever gets you healthy, for sure. I always want... Um, no, go ahead. You know, well, go ahead. No, you ask. Ask your question. No, no, because you were going down a better train of thought. I was going to... Right. No, I was just going to bring it back, too, because, you know, I'm, I'm cool with, like, you know, being open and talking about stuff. Um, and, you know, when I was doing afternoons and uh, when I, when I and, you know, when, when they, they hired... Um, uh, Danny Parkins to come in that for me, my, like mentally, my ego was just like, fuck it. That's it. I'm not staying at this place, you know, and nothing to do with him because, you know, he's a good dude. We, I don't really know him all that well. We, we've texted occasionally. Um, and you know, I saw him up at, uh, when I saw you guys up at, um, at the broad stop. Yeah. Uh, so I saw Danny talk to him for a few secs. Uh, I've heard a lot of great things about him. I just don't know him all that well to develop my own thought or opinion on him. But when someone a lot younger was brought in from the outside, even though he's a Chicago guy, was doing it in KC, I was like, that's it. I'm not, this, you know, nothing's ever going to happen here for me. Fuck it, I'm done. And I, my ego just grabbed a hold of it and said, you know what? You take care of you. And it was, it was the, wrong, the wrong approach to it, but yeah. Well, that was one of the things I was going to ask you. I've always wondered if, if there was ever a point where you thought about working at US 99. Like, oh, absolutely. hundred percent. Dude. Okay. So I got, I got into radio because of Brandmeier. Right. I, I wanted to be in radio because I wanted to be at an FM morning show and I wanted, I wanted to be music and I wanted to be country. And that's absolutely what I wanted to do. hundred, hundred percent. I mean, dude, I, I would, you know, when that, uh, when they, they got rid of Lisa and Ramblin Ray or Ramblin Red Rectum, uh, <laughs> you know, I was like, God, that would be a dream. You know, it'd be an absolute dream. And then you know they brought Styles and Roman over from uh, B96 for the for US 99. I would have loved to do it. Um, you know, I did a I did a, a little bit. Was it a month or so? A month and a half, maybe six weeks. Um, on 105.9 when it was like an adult contemporary. I, I can't remember what it was called though. But I, I filled it in the morning show. I think it was Steve McEwen was doing mornings. And I ran into Rod one morning, and he was like, well, "Hey, you know, wait, what are you doing out here?" And I'm like, "I'm doing the morning show." He's like, "Why? You're a sports guy." And I'm like, well, I'm actually a radio guy. I just happen to work at the score right now. Like, I'd love to do FM music. Oh, no, you could never do it. You're a sports guy. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But, yeah, I certainly, dude, I would have I would have loved to have been on a country station, uh, like a morning show country station. Absolutely. 100%. There's nothing worse than the you can only do this thing. Oh. Right. Come on, dude. Seriously? I hate like, that. I, I, like, I, I couldn't connect with a, a country music, you know, adult audience. Come on. Seriously? That's, that's all I've been listening to since like 1991. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because, and I'll tell you this, I, I know that you, cause you, you teach and you, you work with a lot of students. Uh, if you want to get radio, like if you know what you want to do, go do it. You know what I mean? And maybe it's not the Chicago market. I got real lucky. My first gig and my only gig was in market three. I was super fortunate, very 
uh, an anomaly to things. You know what I mean? Normally with a thousand people that want to do it and to be able to get your, your dream gig right away. Or, and mine was the dream city actually, but not the gig. Um, if, if you know what you want to do, go do it no matter where it is. And if, man, if you're set on doing, you know, country music, go work at a country station somewhere. And obviously there, there might be life restrictions for me. I couldn't leave the Chicago area. I was, I was limited. Um, but if you, man, if you have the flexibility, go do what you want to do, regardless of where it is, just go do it and start working on that craft right there and then work your way back to where you want to be, whatever your dream job might be. You know, I interned at the score for six months. They hired me like a week later. I became a full-time employee within like two weeks. And before I knew it, I was like EPing Dan and Terry's show, like three years had gone by, you know? And it all, and like, you know, part of me was like, you know, I mean, I had so many great experiences and made so many great relationships and know so many great people at this point because of my time at the score. But what if I would have said no to 20,500 a year, mm-hmm. you know, running the board for Murph and Fred? What if I would have said, maybe I'm going to go, you know, a little south in Illinois and try to find a country station or maybe try to go a little north up in the southern Wisconsin to find a country station? What would have been different about my career? I, I... <laughs> I try to explain to the students, like, if, if this is, if you, content creation is what you want to go into, because now you can't just say radio, like, you, it's content creation, because you're, right. you know, you're you're going to be working on the website, and they're going to have you doing stuff, and you're going to be doing video, and all this nonsense. I, um, I try to explain to them how broke they're going to be, <laughs> and think about it, think about it, in 2003, not that long ago. You and I, as a as a production pair, are making less than fifty thousand dollars combined. Right, and that's for a, a morning show in the number three market with good ratings. Like they, the Murph and Fred did well. So yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. So, so a show that was doing well, the two producers are making a combined less than fifty thousand dollars. I think if you add it up, I think we were making forty six thousand dollars a year. Yeah, so I, I, I started off when Fishman offered me the job. It was twenty thousand five hundred, and when he hired me, and he and he and I said, "Yeah, I definitely wanted." He was like, "All right, the starting salary is twenty five, and I was like, "Wow, twenty five thousand? That's a lot less than I'm expecting." I like, I make more money waiting tables right now. He's like, "No, no, and no." So yeah, so dude, that's exactly what it was. I'm like, "Well, twenty five thousand is pretty pretty low." He's like, "Oh no, 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 not twenty five thousand, twenty thousand five hundred." <laughs> And dude, I lost my marbles. I'm like, dude, you can't say 25 if you mean 20,500. I go, you just took $4,500 away from me in the like in the last three seconds. Like that's not right. And he's, you know, and then the blank sheet of white paper went up, and he was like, what? I'm like, come on, fish, you're that's killing me, happens. bro, killing me. So yeah, 20,000. So Wait, I tr- so you were making you were making twenty five grand. I think I made what the heck. I think I made twenty. <laughs> I, I actually think I I think I got that wrong. I actually think it's twenty three five. So I think we were making less than forty five thousand dollars a year between us. I think it was twenty three five because I was working in sales, and I was literally going to leave the station. Oh at yeah, the time. that's right. And, and, and that's when, when Drew was like, well, why don't you come be the executive producer of the Murph and Fred show? And I was like, no, no, that's right. No, that's, so, dude, we, that's not going to we, end we, well. We were making 44 combined. Yep. That's what we were making. Oh, nothing. Absolutely nothing. 
And you know what's weird, Maddie? I can't remember how I lived off of that. Because, like, yeah. I had an apartment at the time. Like, I had a, an apartment in Hyde Park. And I want to say the apartment was, like, six fifty a month. It's a nice apartment. I love that place. But how how did I eat? Like, how, right. how, how, how do you live off of that? I mean, you figure out a way, but my goodness. And, and what's scary is a lot of the full-time salary jobs, it's not like there's been a huge jump in, in what in, uh, a, a person, even with, at the time, like, I had great experience. Like, I, I had a ton of experience. So you're, you're only going to pay me 23.5 or whatever it was? Like, right. That's still going on in the business as, as we speak. Oh yeah. No, the, the people behind the scenes don't, don't get paid enough. And that, I don't think that's ever going to change in the, in the industry. Um, you know, dude, I, I was working Merv and Fred with you and I was waiting tables at lunch at one restaurant and I was waiting tables at, at dinner at another restaurant. Hmm. I, that's, that's how I survived. And I would, sometimes I would get home sometimes at 11, you know, 11 o'clock at night, midnight. And I was back at the station by three at the latest. It was brutal. That was, it was like an 18 month run doing that. It was absolutely brutal, but I needed, I needed to make more money. What do you think you learned from Mike Murphy? Uh, I learned a couple things. Mer, um, preparation. Number one, that you had to be prepared every day and you couldn't just walk in and wing it to a point where, I mean, he, he was overprepared where he programmed like every second of a show, which is a, a far extreme. And then there's some there's some shows that you know, you know there's no preparation. I think there's a healthy balance in in the middle there. Mm-hmm. So I learned I learned that about Murph. Uh, I learned that to be prepared every day uh, to do your best with it because he he always, he always brought it. Um, be creative. Learn that from Murph. Um, I also learned I don't think this was his intent, but don't be afraid to look stupid at times. If you thought this sound effect might be cool or this segment might be cool, don't be afraid to try it. And you know, if you like it, go with it. See what happens. You know, uh, I also learned how not to treat people. You know, I learned that that was that was a big thing. Um, I also learned that you didn't have to like everybody you worked with too. That it wasn't necessary to to have a successful show. I agree with that. I the thing that the biggest thing that I took from Earth one is what you said about understanding that you can treat people great. Like, and they'll, they'll still, they'll work for you and probably they'll work harder for you uh, right. if, if, if you treat people nice. But I, I did appreciate his wanting to use sound because I think that our medium, it's one of the things that I think that we've gone away from that we don't need to. We're, we work in sound. So why not use sound more often? My issue with him was his sound was antiquated. And whenever we tried to offer him more modern alternatives, he would flip out. And he was like, why are you flipping out? We get what you're trying to do. We're trying to help you make that better. Like the golf segment, the golf tips or whatever it was, and the sound of the the swinging golf club. Okay, I mean, we, we could have done something to improve it and to actually make it more valuable to the segment, but he just, he didn't want to hear it, you know? Um, so, and I, I knew you were going to say that because I know that that impacted you back then. And I've seen it, I've heard it carry through your radio career as well. Certainly not 
you know, not antiquated sound effects, but how, how valuable sound is for your radio show. And that, clear, that clearly comes through on, on a regular basis. Well, the good thing is, is I, I feel very lucky, like when obviously like working with Joe was great, but working with Roki and working with Tony Gill, people who are way younger than I am and them having input and saying, no, why don't you do this? Why don't you play this? Why don't you use this music drop? Why don't you use like something that's more relevant? That's a challenge. Like as you get older, it's a challenge. And I keep thinking back to us being in that booth in NBC tower and us saying, no, don't do that. Don't play four minutes of it. Play two minutes of it. Don't take the Ernie Banks and explain whiteboard it for people occasionally. Let them know what they're listening to. So 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 they understand all this stuff. And I'm I'm trying to make sure that I don't morph into that where it's only going to be my way and I'm the only one that has the input of sound on a show. Yeah, a uh, week or so ago when I was on with Joe and, and Tanny, and we were talking about, about B&B, um, and I'll, I mean, I'll always, this is one of the very first thoughts I have of both those guys, is when you, when you sit down in the studio day one to produce their show, regardless of your background, your experience, who you are, you were part of their show. Open the mic. You got something to say? Say it. You're part of the show. That's right. You have a thought. You have a story. Bring it up. Share it. Talk about it they had an ability like I've never seen before to involve everyone in their success. And that's why it made the show great because everyone had a voice. Uh, in my time there, Scott Shear had a voice, even though it wasn't his voice, it was sound. That's how Scott spoke on the show. I could open the mic anytime I wanted to. They never in 14 years, never once said, Hey, you talk too much today. Or why, why'd you do that? Never, never one time. Jason. J- Jason Jason developed his show during that show. I mean, sometimes Jay would do a solo show during the B&B show. Or we would do a show together during B&B when we didn't want to hear them. You know, uh, Tannehill developed his voice, not only with his voice, which was limited, but the most effective use of words because he was the funniest guy, I think, that ever was part of that show. He could say seven words during one show, uh, but his impact would be greater than all of ours for that day. And he also used sound and his ability to edit audio like no one else in the, in the city could do. Uh, and I would, I would bet in radio against the country without even hearing everything. Um, so everyone developed their own voice and their own, their own personality on the show. And Dan and Terry allowed it, which was great, which was the only reason it worked. You notoriously hated running the board. Why? I did. Um, Cause you had to pay attention to the whole thing. And I just didn't want to, I didn't want to do. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't want to, you know, dude. And plus, okay. Keep in mind too. My experiences, my start was doing Murph and cart machines oh and bringing God. in anywhere from 175 to 225 carts, depending on the day and some segments needing five or six carts. With like three functioning cart machines. Hold on. Let me whiteboard this for people who are listening to this. Yes. A cart looks like an eight track. Like imagine an eight track tape, like back in the day. 
Murph had a carousel that Maddie and I were responsible for carrying in. And these were all the things, this is what we're talking about with sound. So with all the things that he'd want to have on a particular, and it honestly, like it could have been, it, it was so random. So this thing of carts, this carousel of carts used to sit with us or with him, depending on what he wanted to play that day. And you have to catalog all of that stuff. And then you can only play them one at a time. So imagine Maddie only having available to him three different cart machines. And I guarantee you one of them was always broken. And then try to put together a show where the host is like, let's do this, 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 and is calling stuff out. It was cumbersome. It was annoying. And I just wanted to let people understand like what we're talking so they can visualize right. what a car, like for those that are, that are going to watch some of this, like this is, this is what I use to, to, to back up every piece of sound that I have on the podcast, right? This isn't even half the size of a cart. This is, this, this, uh, this is about half this, the size of a cart. Google, Google eight track tape. And now an A-track tape would hold like the regular ones you'd buy back in the day, and I'm talking you know 70s and into the 80s, uh, would hold a whole album. Murph's carts were the same size and would hold one sound only because that's what they were made for. So we did golf, like the golf tip. Golf tip had its own theme music that played in the background the entire time. That was one cart. So this is pre-digital. Then there would be the golf club swing. That was on its own separate cart. So I'd have to play that. When you played it, you have to make sure you rewind it. Because if you didn't rewind it, it was still at the end of the cart and it wouldn't play again. So if you went to shoot it and play it again and it wasn't rewound, nothing played. So not only do you have to make sure you're playing the right things, you're making sure that they're rewound if you use them multiple times in one segment. You know, then there'd be other sound effects you'd have to play. And then if you had like six different carts and only three working cart machines, you'd have to pull one out, make sure it was rewound first, take it out, set it where you could grab it again, Put the next one in, rewind that, put the other one back in. Oh, yeah. It was so, dude. So, you wonder why I hated running the board. That's what I grew up on. That's what, that's what I learned on. I mean, it make it, it honestly does make sense that there's almost like a radio PTSD that goes oh, on. Yeah. And anyone, so, and anyone who, who produced Murph, like, we're all in a club of that. Like, we all oh, yeah. have it. No, there's a support group for it. We meet every Thursday night. Uh, you know, dude, and yeah, and I've told this on the air before, and and I've and I've actually said that if if I could if I could go back and and do things differently with Murph, I certainly I certainly would. Um, as far as my behavior is concerned, I can't change how someone else acts, and you know, and he he was a difficult I got difficult guy to work with, but I I made things harder on him, um, and I think you know I, I'm a regular human, I think most people would have as well. But dude, I, I would go through at the end of a day, and I would like I would cut one of his cart machines so that it, that it, one of the cart players, the tapes, so that it wouldn't work the next show. Oh yeah, it's completely wrong. I mean, I should have been fired for that kind of behavior. But it's like that's just that's what he brought out of people. And and I looking again, looking back on that, I I hate that that's how it was. You know, I, I really do, I really do. Um, you know, when I we talked about Terry's last show last week when I was with Joe and Danny, you know, I legitimately wanted Murph to come on the show. And I know he wouldn't respond to me. I know Mitch tried. And I honestly can't remember, dude. I, you know, it was not that long ago, but still. 
I don't know if he told Mitch no or Mitch never got a hold of him or never responded to Mitch. Um, but I, I legitimately wanted him on the show. Um, I, I wanted to see him personally to apologize in person to him. Uh, and I, I think it would have been a really good moment for he and Terry to kind of work some things out. And, and I think they would have at, at that point. I really do. What's special about Terry Vores? Um, Terry has a trait that everyone wants and not many of us have, and that is to be genuine and real 24-7. To be the guy, the person you are, regardless of the audience, regardless of the room, regardless of who you're in front of, regardless of what he's doing, this, the same, the, just the real, genuine, honest person, no masks, no agendas, no alternative behaviors, just real and genuine 24-7. What you saw with Terry is what you got. He treated everyone the same with kindness and respect and dignity, regardless of who you were, he did it. And that's, I think it's a trait that everyone wants to have. And Terry, Terry has it by nature, without effort. I've always felt that he is the freest man that I had ever heard on terrestrial radio after Howard Stern left. Mm-hmm. That that Terry Terry could make a noise, and it was hysterical, or you could almost see him rolling his eyes at someone saying something stupid by listening to him. It's a it's a it's a talent and a gift that I don't know if you're just born with it, but he he was out of fucks to give. And that was from the moment he cracked a microphone. To live in that space where you don't care, it's so as a listener of that show, as a P1 listener of that show, I looked forward to it every day because I knew that no matter what happened, I was going to get the realest part of Terry Boers for those five hours that he was on the air. No, hundred percent. And out, outside of that too, when a lot of people don't have any fucks to give and it can come across as a real negative asshole type mentality. And Terry never, it never, it never permeated that way out, out of Terry. He didn't have any fucks to give, but he was still the nicest guy you could meet. And I, I think that's, that's unique and special about him. Yeah, me too. I, we miss him. Like I've, I've said this on the air and I, I mean, I stand by it. Like him retiring, like it was such a, like the confluence of Doug dying and Terry retiring. I, I, I felt was pretty devastating for the radio station. And I think that everyone's done their best. And I think that we've grown as a radio station, but those two guys, like their, their impact on Chicago radio is so large that I think we're still, I think we're still kind of building ourselves back up from, from both of those events. And with Doug, I mean, that was five years ago. This is five years right. ago when Doug passed away, but that's, yeah, I think I, I, you know, I, I think you don't, you don't, you don't build yourself back up from that. I think you, you recover from it because you're different. And I think you, you can look at the score in different stages and different chapters. And there is certainly a, a chapter, uh, a page that turned after Doug and this, the station will never be the same again. There's a, a page that turned after Terry left and it'll never be the same. It doesn't mean it can't be great and successful because it certainly is. It's just, it's different. And it's never going to be like, like what it was, but it doesn't mean it still can't be great 
and and give great content to a large audience base and be you know the best sports talk radio show in, in the, or station in, in Chicago. It's just it's different. It's what it is. You brought up Chris Tannehill. Can we talk about yeah. Tanny for a minute? Absolutely. One of my favorite people I've ever known. Look, that guy. I've said it, and I think that you sat you've sat next to as a producer guys who I think are really good at sound. John Mamola, really good at sound. Jason Goff, underrated, underrated as being really good with sound, but really good with sound. And I, I say this not to throw shade on those two guys or Scott Share or anyone else who sat in the chair. I have never had a producer as good with sound as Chris Tannehill was when he was working the nighttime show with me. And hearing him be in afternoons for as long as he's been in afternoons, I don't know if people understand, like, how, like, amongst radio people, like, we sit there and go, this fucking guy is right. unbelievable with it. No, he's, he's absolutely, like I said, without even, I don't need to hear any other sound guy in the country. He's the best, period. Uh, was certainly the best in the city. And, and again, his ability to grow and develop his craft, which was highly developed at the point when he entered Dan and Terry's show and grew from there even further. That goes back to Dan and Terry not having dictatorship over their show, but being a part of their show and allowing Tannehill to play whatever sound he wanted, whatever music he wanted, whatever intros and opens and production pieces he put together to the point where they would look forward to that because that was two or three minutes that they didn't have to say anything and there'd be great content going out over the air. So yeah, he's the absolute best, but I mean, outside of that, outside of, of a professional standpoint, uh, Tanny is one of the best guys I've, I've ever known. I've been so fortunate in my time working with, with that show. And it's funny because I can, I can look at it and say, Scott share, one of the nicest, kindest men you'll ever meet in your life. There's no doubt. Genuinely good human being. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, Jason, a guy that younger than younger than, than myself, a guy that I, I've looked up to because I, I respect the way he's carried himself as a person and how he treats people. Just a really genuinely good person. Tannehill, a really genuine, just good person. Terry a good person, Dan, a good person. I mean, the work he does for one step camp, the, the father, he is the husband. He is uh, all those guys, you know, just the, the, the guys you would want your son to like model after, you know, just good people. And I was like, you know, Jesus, man, what, what am I doing in this group? I don't belong here. These guys are, you know, these guys are, are saints compared to me. I'm an idiot. I'm an egotistical asshole. You know, I've been so fortunate to have those guys next to me, and to be around them and to experience what it looks like to be a, a really good person. And those guys certainly, certainly have been absolutely 100%. I mean, that, that streak that I've run through, uh, and, but sitting, sitting in that show under hood, under Zampillo, I mean, again, more just genuinely good people. Hood's you know another, I mean? another guy, like sound wise, like, man, like the ideas that Jonathan would have for shows, you're like, you can't pull that off. And then he pull it off and make pull it, it off, look easy. Dude. And my internship was right towards the end of his time running, running the board for that show. So I, I got to see the very end of his time. And, man, I would just sit and laugh and laugh 
but I, I wouldn't like laugh openly like super out loud because I was like an intern. I was like trying to be cool about it. But man, I wanted to get out of that room and just die. I mean, when he would do the Hal McRae thing, I don't think I've ever heard something anything funnier on the radio than Hood doing that. But man, but just just being able to sit like with those, I mean, the number of good people during my time there. And that's another thing about the show too. 19 years together, I was part of it 14. The limited number of people that worked on the show. I mean, people put time in on that show. That says a lot. It says a lot about the show itself. How hard was it to put together Terry's last show? Um, from a, a standpoint of the organization, it was it was really it was consuming. It was difficult. Thirty two guests in a five hour show, giving people the proper time and, and respect that they deserved was going to be impossible. So it was just do the best you can and try to make it as entertaining as possible with the limited amount of time each person's going to have. That was hard. I had a lot of great support though, from Mitch and promotions that, you know, um, again, just the creativity. This is Terry Bors day one saying goodbye. And Mitch said, it's your show, make it happen. There, there was no micromanaging. There was no, let me see what you're doing here. Let me see what you're doing here. That again, another great aspect of it, just go create and make it happen. So I wanted to do it in a spirit that would honor Terry, something that he would walk away with and remember forever, something that our listeners would remember forever, the studio audience that was there to feel it, to actually feel what was happening more than just hearing it. Um, I never thoroughly got to enjoy it, honestly, until until last week, you know, because um, because you you're you're in it. So you're yeah, not experiencing you're, it. Right. There was, there was, so I listened to the whole show last week when the station replayed it. Um, man, I, I, I cried. I got goosebumps. I laughed. I smiled. There was so much that I, I didn't hear, even though I'd heard it, I didn't really hear it. You know what I mean? Um, I didn't want to go back and listen to it. And I, I don't, I don't think if the station hadn't replayed it, I'm not sure I even would have listened to it start to finish. Um, why not? It was uh, it was one of my proudest days at the station, but it was also one of my saddest. It was one of the most difficult days, you know. And I know it was it was a good and, and positive experience, but I, I don't I don't think I wanted to sit through and listen to it and relive the 14 years that I spent with Terry and having that no longer exist. Again, if you don't if you don't listen to it, and you avoid it. Maybe it never happened. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I mean, I get it. I also get the idea of because you're doing it at the time, like you don't really get to appreciate it. Like it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why, like my favorite radio moment is that last bears report that we did before the super bowl, because you spend all this time, Zach and I spent all this fucking time, like being hardcore, like NFL beat reporters, giving you guys reports every day. And then that Friday it was like, None of this shit matters. While out, yeah. let let's let's just have fun with the absurdity of people asking Lovey Smith if he can smell a championship, and let's 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 go uh, flirt with uh, what's his name's mom, Matt Hasselbeck's mom. And, yeah, your mom's hot, right? What he could have left the show, but she stayed. She yes, hung she out stay. with us. 
right. you know, Zach and Amanda Beard. Like there was just so much stuff that was going on. It was, and I was still drunk from like watching Prince a couple hours ago. Like not actually drunk, but like mentally drunk from watching Prince perform fifty feet from where we were doing it. Like those are those are the things where you think that some things are so important, but I felt like the listener didn't get cheated. Like the listener who was listening to all of us just while out enjoyed the hell out of that, even though we were acting like crazy people on the radio. Dude, I, I will never forget that that report. I, I, I can picture us sitting there. I can picture the moments happening, the, the body language, the laughter, uh, people watching and staring and other radio stations being distracted from their shows because they were like, what the hell is going on? People stopping and just and watching. Um, and I, I love how you said that. And I think that really sums up how I feel about the B&B show. There, you know, my, my 14 years with them, certainly there were days I walked away disappointed thinking we, we did a, a bad show. We could have done better. But man, for the majority of it, we never cheated the audience. And I, I love the way you put that. I thought it's great. Man, if you, if you can go each day and not cheat your audience, I think that's a successful day. And I think, I think we did that for most of the time together. But man, that, that Bears report, that Amanda Beard stuff, though, I'll never forget. Man, that was great. Holy cow, was that great? Yeah, like and all of it. That's the thing about Zach. It's like, like you, like Zach is so good on the air, and he's so like I'm so happy that he's doing the Cubs stuff, and he's so great doing play by play, and whether it's basketball or doing baseball, and he sounds great. But you just don't know that there is a goofy, crazy other side of Zach that you you don't know on the radio, and he just he keeps it he keeps it cool, he keeps it cool, and you know he leaned in that, that day though. He sure did lean in that day, which was so which was so cool about it. But that's that's the Zach that we knew, and that's the Zach that you knew a lot better than I, than I knew. But the audience never knew that Zach; they just knew the really cool, great reporter, keep it pro, keep it moving. You know, Zach, great play by play. But there was a dude there that would make you laugh so you cried if you hung out with him. <laughs> there's yeah, there's no doubt. And since we we bring that up, let's let's go back in uh, in in history a little bit with our Saturday show that I, that I fucked up and completely what, you know, is, is, is like part of the, the, the trail of destruction I can look back on and create my own path. When I, man, I fucked up the very first show that we had. And again, it was just, it was ego and thinking I was more important than I was and being out drinking, dude, it was just an absolutely horrible thing. And, and I'm, you know, I look at it and it's like, and I know it's, I, dude, again, happy with my life. Love, love my job. Got three unbelievable kids. Love being a dad. I coach. I love my life. And I look at the the path that you've gone on and Zach has gone on. And there was a time where I wouldn't want to think about that show, that moment, that summer. Now I can sit here and go, holy shit, I was part of that with Lawrence and with Zach. Look where those guys are now. Those were my boys. Those were the guys I, I did work with. Those were the guys I walked in the studio with. And I, I can look at it with pride and, and also pride for you guys, too, and respect. And it's like, yeah, I worked with those dudes. Yeah, that dude you see on TV, killing it. Oh, yeah, we did a show together. Oh, yeah. And so it's, it's different. It's, it's trans, I've transformed my perspective on it. But, boy, looking back on it, what, what an idiot. What an asshole. What an opportunity. I regret the severity of 
how I responded to that. Okay. I feel like I could have gotten my point across to you without being as angry as I was. I actually I'll think never, I'll, I won't forget sitting in the studio with you, the side studio. I'll never forget that. I was I'll never forget it. I was on one. I, I mean, it was. I feel like like now I would have I felt like I could have gotten through to you better if I would have calmed down and just explained why I was upset. Like, I know that you understand it, but it was one of those moments. And like one of the, if you go back to the episode where Grody and I are on and I talk with Grody because for the most part, I am calm and polite and I would even say nice, but there's a point where if I get to it, I am vicious. And I felt like that was, I felt like in, in discussing what had happened, I was vicious and there were a lot of things that were at play. I was mad at Mitch because if he, if he had just listened to me and cause his whole thing was, I guess I got to whiteboard this too. Me, Maddie and Zach had a show on Saturday morning <laughs> and it was going to be Saturday morning, six to 10. And the idea was is that we were going to be given an opportunity to see if we could create a show that maybe would then replace Mike North's show. Like, cause North was leaving or it left, right? He, he was already gone by that point. Uh, yeah. I don't remember, dude. You, so, you, 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 can, you can speak for us. So, so they were trying to figure out if we could be, if the three of us would be the next morning show at the score. And in the first show, Zach and I are looking at each other and it's like 5:45, and Maddie's not there. So we're calling him. We're trying to get him. We can't get him. And Mitch had been like, look, you know, Maddie's going to drive the show. And you know, you two, because you're reporters, like he's, that's his job. His job is to drive. You guys are there to, to, to bring whatever it is that you're bringing in from the field. So Zach and I are sitting there going, well, we got to make a decision because you weren't there on who was going to drive it. Maddie had been out that night, and I would guess that morning, like up until that morning. You know, no, you know, I wasn't out super late. It's just I, I, I drank too much when I was out. I was actually home at a regular, like a normal time to to get up and do the show. I just I didn't set an alarm because I was drunk and I overslept. What well, I think that you got in at like seven forty. So Zach and I have been doing this show. And it was new. Like, no one knew anything about it. It was just, oh, Lawrence and Zach are doing a radio show. Okay. But Mitch was adamant about you driving the show. So when you came in, even though it was, like, in the middle of a segment, I'm like, why would we do this? Like, that, like to me, it felt silly. I'm like, just wait until 8 o'clock, bring Maddie in, and then the audience doesn't know. And then you got on the air and you were like, guys, like, like literally the first thing you said was, guys, I'm really sorry. I was supposed to be here. And I understood why you were apologizing. But I'm sitting there like, no, like, don't, no. And then afterwards, I, I flipped my shit. Like, I flipped my shit. And I think that it did some damage to our friendship. And I apologize for flipping my shit. I, I now know that there would have been a better way to approach that conversation with you. 
And I apologize for that. I think that the yeah, yeah. the substance of what I said, I don't apologize for. Yeah, but, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think you have to apologize for anything. And I think you you were rightfully as angry as you were, um, and it's it's fine. Um, yeah, no, and dude, I it it had a I had a massive impact on me, and I don't I don't think it hurt our our friendship at all. Um, I think it just it added to, and not anything you did, my own behavior just added to this, you know, this self-sabotage type mentality that I, I carried through most of my adult life. Um, and I, without an explanation to it, I, I would have, if I was Mitch, I would have, I would have not put me on the show that day. And I would have had a serious conversation during the week, the four of us about even, even continuing to, to go on it. Like if I like, I, I shouldn't have gone on that day. He should have said, you're an asshole. You know, don't, don't go on. Um, the four of us should have talked about it later in the week, probably, and uh, and decided if I should have even been a part of the show moving forward. Yeah, but I I wish I would have handled it differently. Yeah, and, I get it, and more and more it. constructively. It, yeah. yeah, because you because you fine. know how like, much affection that I I had for you, and I like more than even the us, like me, you, and Zach. I kept thinking like this is Maddie's chance to win. And I was so frustrated because I'm like, fuck, man, like, like, this is it. Like, this is this is the thing that you've been looking for. And and we're going to do this together. Like, we're going to do this together and you're going to win and it's going to be awesome. And I, I I lost my mind after that. Yeah. And rightfully so. And it was. Yeah, we were on the runway. As Mitch said, we were on the runway. And uh, I know Zach. Zach always loved that on the runway. <laughs> we were on the runway. He uses that today. Um. Yeah, and uh, and I, you know, I, uh, you know, act of terrorism. I, uh, I, you know, I took the plane over. So yeah, it was bad. But yeah, you got nothing to apologize for. I apologize to you, and um, you know, I apologize to, to Zach as well. I know he'll be dying to hear hear this this uh, this version of the podcast. So I'm sure he'll, he'll probably tune. In. He'll probably be the first guy to download it and tune in. So Zach, I apologize, and you know, I also apologize for that one night in Miami. Wait, Sorry. what happened in Miami? Oh, you know what? Don't share. No, I'm just kidding. You <laughs> no, guys did happened. not. Nothing, did you? Nothing, <laughs> <laughs> nothing happened to Miami. I'm just kidding. Zach would hang out with me. Zach never. He he knew better than to hang out with me. So yeah. Do fine. do you feel like you're you're healed up? Hundred percent. That's good. I feel great. Yeah, I feel great. I feel great. So yeah, I'm yeah. I feel hundred percent happy. I I wake up every day, feet hit the floor. I'm good to go, man. I'm happy. I got. Uh, no more, no more regrets. I've dealt with regrets and, you know, regrets, regrets are, are a, a vice and a, and a chain that, that holds you back. Uh, you, you deal with shit you need to deal with and you try to rectify everything you can and you move forward. Do you and then want- you try to be, try to be better, try to be better. I mean, I just wake up, try to be better, be better today, wake up, try to be better tomorrow than I was today. Um, you know, dude, I got this really cool, this, uh, this picture of the boys uh, at our church and they're sitting at the bottom of the staircase, staircase is going up. And um, uh, it's it's really cool. The slogan underneath it, and someone at, at uh, the group at youth group my church, they actually had it blown up and made it into like a life size poster kind of thing for me. So this is it right here. Oh wow! Uh, Look at the and, boys. And it's in my, yeah, isn't that cool. And so uh, it hangs right at the edge of my bed against the wall. So it's the last thing I see at night. It's the first thing I see in the morning as I look straight at it. And it says, um, "A father said to his sons, be careful where you walk.'" And the sons responded, you be careful. We walk in your footsteps. So that's how my day starts and ends every day. 
Um, God, am I perfect? Oh, fuck no. I mean, there are people in my life that, that still hate me today. And, you know, I'm not a perfect guy, but I'm never going to be perfect. But I try to be better uh, each day I wake up and I do it for them. And that's the first and last thing I see every day. So uh, I am healthy. I'm happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a good I'm in a good place. Very fortunate to have the job I have, uh, you know, and I work in ADP. I do sales for them, a, a restaurant specialist. So majority of my territory I call on is restaurants and bars. Uh, I would imagine company. I would I, imagine that's rough right now. Oh, dude, it's brutal. I mean, when about about 65 percent of my territory is, is restaurants and bars. So um, since we've closed down in the middle of March, I basically haven't you know, it's been a lot harder to call on people because they're either closed completely or down to the bare minimum of staff and they're just doing takeout. And no one wants to sit and have conversations right now about business. But we're trying. We're doing our best. So, Is there any part of you that thinks that you'll find yourself working in broadcasting in some form at, at, at down the line? Oh, again, I, I would love to. Um, you know, I think going through all my life experiences and where I'm at now as a person, I think I could be a very valuable asset uh, to help and, and lead. You know, um, I really do. Um, you know, I certainly, I have a, I have a podcast idea I want to do and was actually hoping to get it, you know, get it going, uh, in March and then everything shut down. So, um, as soon as I get that started, we'll, we'll get that going again. Okay. Well, good. Well, I'm glad that you had time for this. This was a lot of fun. It was fun. It was a great time. You know, it's, it's good to, to be able to talk to you and I appreciate you being as, as open about things because what what's happened with you over the last like five years hasn't been easy and some of it's been public and it, i would imagine that that's difficult 100 percent uh dude you know when you, you have you have your life on display uh it's really hard especially when it's you know it's just stuff that you you don't you don't want strangers to to, to know or be a part of um but at the end of the day you look at it and say well who, who do you have to look at for this happening? It's yourself, you know, and you can't blame other people for your own behavior. So you could, you could become jaded and angry about it and hold grudges against people. Uh, or you could say, all right, that's what I did. Um, that was who I was. It's not who I am now. Um, what can I try to do to rectify either broken aspects of life or broken relationships? And you, all you can do is try, and they're either received or not received, and then you move on and be a better person the next day. That's, that's all you can do. Uh, and I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with, with uh, everything that's happened in life and because it's my life, dude. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to change anything about my life because I can look at a lot of different things and, and how one path leads to another. And if things didn't happen as they had to this point right now, uh, you know, I wouldn't have Abigail, who's a 23-year-old senior at Illinois State. Uh, I wouldn't have Hank, who's in first grade, and Jack, who's in kindergarten, and are, you know, are my life. So, yeah, it's all good, man. It's all good. I'm still rooting for you to win, man. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm going to try to stop fucking it up, too. We'll see. <laughs> well, you got help if you need it. And I'm glad that that you were willing to to give of yourself and – and I think that you're learning some stuff from it, but I'm, I still root for you to win. Hey, how, how old are you now? I'm 44. 44. Okay. So you're three years younger than me. So it was what? 20, uh, 2001. I'm trying to do the math here. 28. So you'd have been 25. Correct. I was 28. Uh, God, man, that's crazy. We've known each other a long time. 
I, dude, I'm three years, three years from 50. That's crazy. It's insane. I just celebrated when we were recording this a week ago. My, I'm now in my 23rd year at the score. I saw that. That's insane. Pretty crazy. It is crazy. You know what's really weird? Crazy. So, like, my first year of making money in broadcasting, I was working for Channel 9 as a field producer. So I found myself in the last dance documentary. Like there's, like, I saw your tweet about that. I know. Two I wish seconds. I, wish of you me. Had a, <laughs> I love it, dude. It's that's hilarious. So cool. Like, but that's how old I am. And I was talking with my students about it last week, and they're like, "Wait, what? Like, what do you mean you used to cover that team?" And I'm like, "Well, kind of. I mean, I was there, and I got sound bites, and I didn't ask a lot of questions. I don't think I asked. I think I maybe asked two questions when I was sent out there." But, like, where's the washroom and how do I get to the parking lot? Exactly. <laughs> like, I was just keeping my mouth closed and letting the, the people who knew what they were doing do what they do. But it's so great to see, like, their reaction to yeah. this. Like, 19-year-olds, like, going through some of this stuff, they have no idea. Like, it's so oh, great. Dude, taking my voice through it has been has been so awesome. Because uh, I, I record them, and then, you know, we, we'll watch them when, when we have time during the day. Um, you know... For them, because they, they've been into basketball, and they both love the NBA. I mean, they're crazy about it. Um, I mean, they wake up in the morning. They check box scores. They see who scored what, uh, standings. I mean, it's insane. They do it for whatever sport is on at the time. And the NBA, they just both really love. And for them, for the last two, like two years, LeBron James was the man. I mean, they got James T-shirts. They got Lakers hoodies. Jackie just got a Lakers hoodie last week for his birthday. Uh, like, LeBron was the man. And you know, as as a dad doing doing my 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 uh, my duty, I got the um, uh, iPad out and showed him highlights of Michael Jordan. I'm like, yeah, LeBron is cool. Like LeBron, like he's awesome. I love LeBron. But there's a guy named Michael Jordan, and here let's watch some of his highlights. You know, let's see some of his highlights. He played for the Bulls and explained to him that. Pulled out some Bulls memorabilia I had from storage mm. and showed him like the championship team plaque. You know, the team. And I'm like, you know, this is Michael Jordan. So now we have this to watch and to show. Uh, and now, like, they get that Michael Jordan, like, LeBron's cool, and, like, LeBron's still their man, but Michael Jordan was the best. Um, so it's, it's really cool. And watching the, the Last Dance, dude, it's been the, the, my favorite sports documentary I've ever watched. I smile for two hours straight where it hurts my cheeks. I cry and get teary-eyed at least half a dozen times every, every two hours. It happens. Um, you know, it got me going back to that 93, 94 season after Michael had left. I was at, at Moody and doing radio there. My radio partner and I, we talked the uh, program director at WMBI 90.1 to give us credentials for MBI so we could go to Hallis Hall and the Berto Center and games under the guise of we'll track down Christian athletes and get a soundbite from them that you guys could use. But we just wanted to go. And uh, dude, so I found a bunch of memorabilia that I had like pictures. So we talked to the Bulls one day and told them all we're you know two college students from WMBI. You know, could we get some inside access to the Birdo Center? And they they gave us tours. They gave us a whole run of it one day. Um, I got pictures with BJ and with Pax and with Scott Williams and uh, Stacy King. Like those four dudes spent way more time with us than they needed to. Like they were so generous and kind with their time. You know, here's two idiot, you know, college kids with a, another dude who's recording it with a, like a camcorder, another guy with a, 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 a camera. Um, we're all over the Birdo Center and learning about it and the organization and talking to those four dudes in particular. 
it was crazy. And I remember being at one of the games and we're doing a gangbang after, after the game and we're all at Scotty's locker and Scotty, you know, he's sitting at the small chairs and where it's like his knees like above his head. Cause they're so long and he's got his suit on and his zippers down and his underwear showing right. And his, in his suit pants. So everyone's asking him questions and it's the only time I ever spoken any of these things. I was deathly afraid to ask a question. So everyone kind of breaks up a little bit and I lean in and I go, Scotty, your zipper's down. And he's like, Oh, thanks man. And just zipped up his zipper and that was it. And I walked away thinking I'd like, just done the greatest work ever. You, you are Mahatma Gandhi. You helped yes. out Scotty Pippen with his fly. So then down the road, um, he's 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 played a pickup game at, at Moody at the Solheim Center, which was like the second best gym in the city at the time. And so he's there doing a pickup game. And there were some other Chicago guys there too. I can't remember who they were. But Scotty is uh, – the gym's closed off. It wasn't open, but I, I knew the athletic director at school well enough that he let me in. And I'm there watching his pickup game full court pickup game, NBA players and, and other guys, college guys too. Scotty's wearing his NBA all-star shorts where he was MVP that, that season when they got screwed over by Hugh Hollins. And he's not wearing a shirt, which wasn't allowed at the gym at that time, but he was Scotty Pippen. And I remember just, he would dunk and I would scream and yell and I'm cheering. I'm just, I'm going, I'm just letting loose. I love Scotty. And I asked him if I could have his, uh, his NBA all-star shorts. I'm like, cause he kept, he kept looking over at me cause he, you know, I was screaming and yelling and he'd smile and he'd look over. And so finally, I was like, Scotty, Scotty, come here, come here. I'm like, dude, can I have your NBA All-Star shorts? Those are awesome. He's like, man, shut the fuck up. And he just took off running. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, okay. I, but I, was, I wanted to be like, dude, I'm the guy that told you to pull, like, just pull your zipper up. Come on, you don't recognize me? It's me. I saved you all that embarrassment. And they, yeah, shut the fuck up. I'm like, okay, all right. That works too. My man. So. But, dude, it was cool. So it's cool, like, going back to that last dance and then having those experiences to look back on, um, you know, being at Hallis Hall. And I got a great picture of me asking Richard Dent a question. It was Packers week. They were going up to Green Bay to play. And Re- it was Reggie White's first season with the Packers. And I remember asking Reggie, uh, asking Richard Dent, I'm like, do you get any extra motivation for this week? Not only is it Packers week, you're in Lambeau, but you're going to be compared to Reggie White, you know, for this game. Does that give you – and I remember, man, the dude took it, you know, took time, made a thoughtful answer to it. I got a great picture of it. Um, but going back to that time now, the last dance has kind of brought me there into those experiences of, of college radio. It was really cool to relive. I always say that people have no idea your knowledge of the Bible. <laughs> yeah, it didn't do me a whole lot of good, but yeah, no, I got more knowledge than I should. But they would they would never know like how much like how many verses from the Bible that you could recite. Dude, there was there was times when um, some of the smaller smaller books in New Testament I could recite most of it, like like the whole like the whole book, um, and a lot a lot of, lot of the you know a lot, a lot of the Gospels. There's a lot of sections of the Gospels I could recite, but I don't I don't remember much of anything anymore. I mean, I, I do, but um, it's not as, as sharp as I once was. Well, it's sure. all it's all blended in now, where you're teaching lessons to the boys and like all you, there's all yeah. this all this stuff that's in there now. But there's a time. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was a, yeah, I know people won't believe it. I mean, I was drinking on the radio, so it's like this guy doesn't know the Bible. I do, and you know, um, and you know, my my faith still plays an an important part of, of my life and my uh, realization that there's there's greater things out there than than ourselves, and uh, it helps keeps things keeps things in perspective too. Um, you know, my boys, they you know we well not not now, but uh, the youth program, the the kids program at our church, the boys really enjoy going on Sundays, so it, it's pretty cool. And I was helping out for a little while with the high school and the junior high group uh, at the church. 
Um, but you know, obviously nothing's happening right now. So, well, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for opening up and uh, being a, a part of this on the, on the pod, man. I was glad to get you yeah, on house no. of hell. I was looking forward to it. I was really glad you asked me and I was just looking forward to getting some stuff out and just, you know, out between us in particular and, uh, just getting some stuff said that I know people will hear. So, um, it, it's important to me that people know, you know, uh, that a lot of things that have happened in relationships and time of the score was, was really because of me and not because of anything else. And, um, I'll, I'll cherish every, every minute I spent there. Absolutely. Well, we miss you. So good. Well, talk to Mitch. Get me back. All right. I'm on it. I I'll, I'll, I'll produce your show with Herbie. Oh, that would be fun. Then you could yell at me. Great. No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> you know what I would love to do? Uh, and not, I mean, not, well, not really, but, uh, I always thought Bernstein should, should be solo. And, you know, I hate I hate the way in which it happened now, obviously. But I, I really thought that after Terry Terry retired, man, I had I had my own vision for the station at that point. But um, I, I totally wanted Dan Dan to be solo. I, I think it would have would it. I think it being solo will change a lot of the negative perspective of what people think of Dan. I thought that would have been a really valuable step. Um, you know, I, I had I had my own plans for the station after Terry retired. Do you want to do you want to give your score lineup? Yeah, um, I was gonna. I was gonna. Um, I would have put Bernstein solo in the morning show. Um, I think it would have totally changed the way he approached an audience, and I think the audience would have been been able to appreciate Dan who he is as a person. Um, I thought he could have just been. It would have just been really tight and guest formatted, and it would have been informative and not allowed people to hate Dan as much because uh, you wouldn't have as many opportunities to tell them how wrong they were. Uh, my my midday midday score was going to be you and Jason. And then I was going to put Mully and uh, Hanley in the afternoons. Man, this is not a terrible lineup. No, it, I thought it would have been really, really good. I'm, I'm really hoping that one day um, – it's weird because Jason and I now technically work together at NBC. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm trying to kind of slowly convince him that we should do a weekly podcast together. But he's been so generous, like, coming on the radio show that when he's on the show, man, it's so easy. Like, the two of us – like as far as a partnership on the air it's so easy and thank you for thinking that we could do a show together i appreciate oh that. no dude i i it would have been easy that would have been a no-brainer i'd have made that move that terry was done on the was it the 5th of january whatever that following monday was that's what i would have kicked off that got it started that'd have been fun yeah time. i thought because i you know dan i always thought dan could do a national show even though he never wanted to me too and a lot of my anger towards dan uh, derived out of the fact that he didn't hold high enough expectations for himself. But then I had to realize that I can't run Dan's life. And if Dan is happy doing local radio in Chicago, then I should shut the fuck up and let Dan be happy. But I, I, just, I had higher expectations for Dan uh, is what he could do. And I thought you could have formatted a morning show, a solo morning show to sound like a national show, but be local at the same time. Scores on the fours. <laughs> that was three and a half. What, what the, were you doing? What the f- mother? Yeah, so that's that's my broken pinky. Show you. And that's that's what Murph saw. And he thought it was three and a half. And didn't do scores on the fours. Yeah, so. <laughs> and you wonder why I drank so much. And you wonder why we had the master plan that we had. Yeah, which could never be spoken of. Yeah, ever. it's in Terry's book though. I like that he left our names out, but it's in Terry's book. I laughed. It. Someone asked me, they were like, hey, are you in Terry's book? I'm like, yep, I'm in there. 
My name's not in there, but I'm in there. Oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> See, and that's what I meant, man. He like, that person has evolved in a lot of ways. So it's good. I'm trying to that's my thing. That's my anger is my vice. And I'm trying to I've been trying to evolve and become better and not allowing people to bait me into that level of anger. Cause there very much is like a Hulk element to it of like, you really wouldn't like it if I got mad. Like right. if I got angry, you would hate it. So why would you push me towards doing that? So I'm I'm working through it. And honestly, yeah. like episodes of the podcast have helped in that regard. Like Grody. That's why that's why you're the Hulk. Yeah, right? It's sometimes that's why I, I'm Tony I'm Tony Stark. That's why you are Tony Stark. I'm not Iron Man, I'm Tony Stark. Hey, Tony Stark had a great life. Yeah, he did. Dude, I cried. I cried like a baby. At the end of Endgame? Oh my god, yeah. I hated it. I mean I loved it, but I hated it. I was you thinking know, about my, watching my, it last my night. Character, man. Did all right, so did oh, we talked about this. We texted about this, I think. Did you catch that it was uh Harley at the funeral? The the kid uh, from Iron Man 3. Oh yeah. No, no. I I texted you and asked you. Yeah. Yeah, cuz whenever I have nerd questions, I text you and I Fair. was like I was like who's who's that dude at the funeral and you were like oh that was the kid from the absolute one of the worst the, Marvel movies. The worst made. movie that they Jesus, made. Jesus, man. Oh, and I saw Joe O on Twitter the other day was like, I'm going to watch it, even though Lawrence told me not to. I wanted to call him be like, don't seriously, don't. don't it's horrible. Yeah. And it's, I, I mean, Iron Man is my dude. It's not good. One of the worst. One of the worst Marvel movies. That's worse than any like DC movie and all the DC movies below. I don't know. I don't know if anything's worse than Green Lantern. It's so terrible. And it was such a, a waste yeah. of Ryan Reynolds. I know. I know he yeah he's a good dude. He he um, figured it out. Like Deadpool is the is the character that he should play, and he pretty much now just plays Deadpool, even if it's not a Deadpool movie. He's just kind of, which I guess means that Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool, because in right. every movie that I see him in, it's kind of the same thing. He uh, I love him. I, he's one of my favorite actors, and his social media game is so strong. Whether he's like picking on his wife. Or making fun of Hugh Jackman. I mean, is this is one of my favorite things going after Wolverine. It's hysterical. It's so funny. It's a good man. I'm thorough. Yeah. <laughs> All right, dude. I'll 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 stop talking. And let you go. Well, I mean, th- we could probably do another episode at some point. Um, I'll put okay. you on a list of people that get to come back. Uh, you know, and when we can do it, let's do it in person. Yeah, I'd like that. Me too. I I I'd like, I'd like to come see the estate. No, no, we don't have to do it at my house. Like I can get you, I I can get us a I could requisition a studio. But yeah, you could come to the house too. Do it in the living room. I got the cords, right. like I got the mic cords are long enough that we could sit wherever. Be great. Let's do it. All right, brother. Be well. Tell the boys I said hey. I will. I will. They hey, they still we still occasionally talk about our pizza night out. Yeah. I, I like uh being around those kids. They got a lot of yeah. energy. They're smart. Those smart boys, smart, beautiful boys. They got a lot of energy and a lot, a lot of things to say, which I enjoy. I will tell them Uncle Lawrence says hello. Fantastic. All right. Be good, my friend. Stay out of trouble. Okay, Will do. I'll talk to you. You got it. All right, buddy. Love you. Love you too, man. All right, buddy. That's our conversation. Yeah, we had a little family reunion type deal at Pequod's. uh, God, a year and a half ago, two years ago. 
And all I did was just, I was just hanging out with the boys. Like we were playing jokes on their dad and all sorts of stuff. And he's got two great boys. And I give him credit. I give his ex-wife, Melissa, a lot of credit for how great those boys are. They're really tremendous young men. And I'm very happy that they're still doing really, really well. This has been an interesting couple of weeks for the podcast. This week actually marks this the second anniversary of the podcast. I'll probably put out an episode later on this week to talk about it. I've really loved how this whole thing has grown. And it's really cool to see the perspective that you you guys have allowed me. I, I love talking to people in the industry and finding out what it is they do. And I got a bunch of, of creatives that are going to be on the podcast soon. Let me get to a couple of your emails. House of L podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's house of L podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to email the podcast, this is from Justin. He says, just, he didn't say Justin. He says, Lawrence, Lawrence. Hello. Hope you're holding up well during these uncertain times. First, I cannot overstate how awesome this podcast is. I've listened to almost all of them and enjoyed each one. It's refreshing to learn about these folks on a more personal level. I want to recommend Cheryl Burton of Channel 7 as a guest for the podcast. I've watched Channel 7 for many years and was impressed by her professionalism and proficiency. I had the opportunity to meet her at the Chicago Auto Show a few months ago and saw just how fun and spirited she can be as well. I heard someone recommend her on an earlier episode this fall, and I agree. I also feel she'd be an awesome podcast guest. Lastly, I wanted to give you a shout out to your buddy, Kenzie, who I had a chance to meet at the auto show. Having listened to her episode, I just had to say hello and give her my salutations for grinding hard and paying massive dues early on to get where she's at now at such a young age. As soon as I said I listened to her episode, she gave me a big hug and she took a photo of us with her phone. We had a nice chat for several minutes. It felt good to give someone appreciation for the work they put in to reach their success. Keep up the great work and I look forward to what's in store. Well, thanks, Jordan. Jordan, that's not your name. Your name is Justin. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate it. Rickman, are you related to Alan? Anyway. Yeah, man, Kenzie is dope. I I continue to marvel at the things that she's on, and I really like that she refers to me like I'm I'm her work husband. So I guess she's my work wife now. Um, we were we were working on her podcast a couple weeks ago. She's a star, dude. Like she's a straight up star, and I suggest anyone that is even thinking about getting into this business to check out what she had to say in her episode, because I don't know if I could have <laughs> that stuff that she was talking about. Damn. That's episode 81, by the way, Kenzie Kramer, Kenzie K. Just check it out. She, the, the stuff that she went through to get to where she's at and she's a baby. Like she's not, I don't think she's even 20. I think she just turned 25, but it, it shows you what you can do if you really, really want it badly. As for Cheryl Burton, I, I'm going to work on that, Justin. I am. I'm going to really work on it because my best friend, Afia, who's episode 100, and I have been talking about 
Cheryl Burton because she considers Cheryl a mentor. We follow each other. I've met her a couple of times. I wouldn't say that I know her, but you're right about her spirit. Like she's she's got a lot of spirit. She's extremely talented and great staying power in this market. Hasn't let a lot get her down. I appreciate that. And I've heard that she is fiercely professional over at Channel 7. And I guess you kind of have to be over there. You better get it right or you'll get gone. So, Justin, thanks so much for the, the note. This from Ed. Ed, my man, this is too long for me to read, so I'm going to have to cut it down. But I do appreciate it. He says, hey, Lawrence, I've been a fan of yours for a while back, back to the me and Z days. And I've always appreciated how thoughtful you are. So when you decided to drop the podcast, I was right there for you. I've been wanting to send an email for a while, but never really found a good time until now. Your guests are always amazing and super insightful. I love hearing how these people come up. For me, it's very inspiring. I'm a chef in the South Burbs and can identify with a very common story of long hours for no pay and keep grinding until you make it. It's very interesting hearing the commonalities in our industry. I stopped listening to House of L for a while because I was binging another podcast when the pandemic hit. I was off to work, off of work for five weeks and just had all these this free time that I hadn't ever had. Honestly, I was in heaven. I just spent the time being with my family. All this free quality time with my family really changed my perspective. I always used to feel like I put my family first when in actuality, it really wasn't. So he goes on to tell me about all of that, and he says, which brings me to why this is good time to email. I recently started catching up on House of L and heard Paula Ferris's episode. It just struck me so powerfully, especially when she was talking about not letting work be what identifies you. This is so hard in the cooking industry when we figuratively put ourselves on the plate. Anyway, Lawrence, thank you for taking the time to read this, even if even as I'm typing this, it doesn't feel as important as I wanted it to with our nation as fractured as it is right now. If nothing else, it was cathartic to just type my thoughts out. I really do wish you all the best and will continue to listen and support in the little way that I can. Cheers, Eddie. Eddie, dude, I appreciate the support. I do. And I appreciate you picking it back up. And that's I'm like that as a podcast listener. I'm like that with Marin. Marin is part of the reason that I started House of L. I really liked his style. But I got to admit, like there there I go, there are times when I go weeks without listening to Marin and then I'm right back in depending on the guest. So I appreciate you saying all those nice things. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. This was a wild episode, man. I'm glad you listened. Thanks again for all of your support. Thanks to Maddie for being uh, as open as he was. Thank you for the emails, House of L Podcast at gmail.com. And check out the House of L Podcast YouTube page. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Tell a friend about this podcast. Give it five stars and write a review. I like the number of reviews we got, but we could always get more, and that means better placement for the podcast. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thanks, thanks, thanks so much for this. I'll put an episode out before next week's guest to celebrate the two-year anniversary of House of L. Hey!